whatever happens, make sure you're playing well. You can win a game, but you play like shit, and you can still examine it and feel bad about it and then learn from it. Whereas you can conversely play a game tremendously, get destroyed, and still feel satisfied and be like, okay, I did that thing right, I did that thing right. That's probably the best way to play the game. Uh, play to get better and play for yourself, play to have fun. Imagine everyone else is, a, is just an NPC in a game. Welcome to Challenger Insights, where we dive into the minds of the best League of Legends players to figure out how they think about the game. I'm your host, Lucas, and today I'm joined by Azap. He's a Challenger Velka's mid-main, he's been in the top 200 since Season 3, reaching Triple Challenger in Europe West, Nordic East and NA, and he's reached rank 19 on the Europe West leaderboard. Before we get started, I'm also hosting a live Q&A with Azap in the Challenger Insights Discord. It'll be happening tomorrow, November 12th, at 1pm Central Time, or 7pm in the UK. So if you want to ask Azap some questions of your own, be sure to join the Discord. The link for that will be in the show notes. Azap, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, Lucas, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here, man. Awesome. So let's get started. Um, how would you describe Velkaz in your own words? Oh, Velkaz is just absolutely awesome. I would describe him as uh, the best designed character in the game. It's a, it's a tentacle monster that's hungry for knowledge. It's just... He has the most, in my opinion, unique kit in the entire game. That's just so unique and uh, it has infinite potential, essentially. Okay. Can you, can you talk about that infinite potential? What does that mean? It means that um, you could play him in the, the highest range of possible plays. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a weird thing where, where you try to define difficulty of something. Like how would you program, let's say, a perfect player of a, s a single champion? You can imagine for Garen it would be easy. But for Velkas, it would be um, so damn difficult because there's infinite amount of variables that go in. Like the 360 degree angle uh, where you could shoot, the timing of the recast of the abilities. So yeah, there, there's a, a lot of potential plays. And that's even without going into the mind games and everything. Huh. Okay, that's interesting. In that case, you know, if there's so many different ways to play him, what makes your playstyle unique compared to how other people might play him? Um, I try to take the learning approach, I guess. I don't really do too much aggressive plays, because Velkos is not really a huge playmaker. Uh, he is, but he's not flashy. Most of the plays are kind of made in your head before they happen. So you're going you're gonna to make a play, but it will be fully calculated uh, in advance. And it's just going to be like running a, like a certain protocol. You're going to play versus, let's say, Vladimir. And you can't really kill him unless he uses a pool and flash. So what you're gonna do is you're gonna try to bait one, one combo so you can bait out his pool, then you can force his flash in another subsequent combo. And then you have to repeat that so he doesn't have flash so you can kill him. And it's, it's one of those checklist things where you're just trying to operate on enemy mistakes. There are obviously plays you can make to, to prime him into a mistake, uh, but usually that's kind of what you depend on. So what you just do is usually play the game in the most correct way possible, like technically, just farming, wave management, all sort of stuff. And then you look for uh, opportunities. So I, I guess I take a bit more like passive approach in such a way while I just try to figure out exact patterns that could work on the possible enemy. Huh, that's interesting. So you're constantly just thinking about essentially like a, <laughs> a checklist of things to do uh, before, you, before you can go for a kill, for example. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, you, you just have to like keep track of every dash, flash, ability, the, the gap closer, and um, you also, I guess, I guess what makes me a bit unique is I, I played other champs quite a lot. In in older seasons, I used to play a lot of other champs, and I I used to be good at them, and uh, I, I can I can probably play them now even at a very very high level. Uh, so I kind of understand what the goal of certain characters is, and the best way to, to counterplay someone is to actually understand what they're gonna do. So just by predicting what their goal is, you can kind of play on the edge and manipulate that that goal, and uh, abuse them, I guess. <laughs> I like this. This this seems very on brand for for Velkas to not only make such calculated plays, but also to gather the intelligence on 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 the, how enemy champions might play. I love that. Um, cool. Uh, what are some of the common mistakes that uh, you see other Velkas players make that you know how to avoid? They they die a lot. So the the thing is, uh, I usually tell people when they try to get better, like the rule number one is don't die. Uh, it works extraordinarily well for any sort of AD carry player trying to learn mage players and especially Velkas players. Because your core purpose is just not to die, and as a Velkas you have the luxury of actually hitting the front line due to your true damage. So you don't really care that much who you're hitting. Like, obviously there are going to be certain scenarios, but usually it's fine to hit the front line. So your core purpose is to survive and have really good positioning in a teamfight. So that's one of the core mistakes people make, but that's more like a League of Legends based mistake general. For Velkos, I would say people do dry combos way too much. What I mean by that is they're gonna try to do EW combo or WE or uh, EWR without prefixing that with the Q. And Q is the core ability of the kit and it's an incredible manipulative tool. So if you do a dry combo EW, it's just so unlikely to land. It's uh, pretty much pointless. You're just wasting lane pressure, you're wasting mana, making yourself vulnerable because now you don't have a defensive ability available. So it's like a whole plethora of problems coming just from that. So dry combos are very rarely like useful, only like when enemies maybe overstep for like a cannon and you can't, they kind of telegraph they're going to auto-attack it, so you want to do a fast combo without your Q, but usually it's just best not to do it. Okay. In that case, what do your combos look like and how do you integrate the Q into that? Well, uh, I made a, probably one of my most famous videos is like the 10 combos of Elka's. He has way more combos. He's a rather complex champion. It feels simple on the surface, but uh, there's so many different things. It's kind of difficult without the visuals here, uh, but there are, there are like variants where you use your Q as a shepherding tool, essentially. You're going to shoot it at a wide angle, which is going to push enemies to walk towards you. And even before they do that, you're going to instantly cast the W on the ground, like where you assume that they're going to be. You're going to be like a shepherd dog, you know, just push him towards one area where you want him to. Um, yeah, you can use minions because people are usually going to duck behind the minions, so you're going to try to aim at the full wave while zoning with the Q. You can land the Q, which gives you a slow. So the, the Q is either a slow or like a zone tool. And either way, your combo subsequently is much easier to land, which is why dry combos are just really, really bad. That's interesting. So uh, am I getting this right that you're almost always using Q at the start so that you can land your other abilities? Exactly. There, there are certain variants where, again, you can mix it up. Because uh, your W has no cast time. It's the only ability without cast time. You can cast it while moving, essentially. So it's a good thing to mask abilities. You can do W and Q instantly, and they're going to kind of shoot at the same time. And if enemies aren't paying attention, the particle effects are going to kind of be jumbled up together. And they, if they're not really paying attention, you can kind of catch them off guard with that Q and then do another EW, because then you have two W stacks. Hmm, that's cool. Um, 
when you do this, like like you mentioned hiding the queue, but if people are paying enough attention, aren't you going to miss queue a lot if that's the first ability you use? Like you use it as a shepherding tool, which I assume means it's not too big of a deal if it misses, I guess. Um, am I getting that right? Yes, it all depends what your goal is. Uh, and your goal can depend on the enemy HP on the stacks enemy has right now. If enemy has one stack, you don't necessarily care that much because you can proc six fairly easily with that. Because it's all about uh, rotations. You need to land like three stacks and six. You, you want to end up on one of those two spots. So if you land your Q, it's, it's pretty easy to land everything else and you're going to get six. Uh, but if you miss your Q, you got you to gotta make sure you have enough stacks on the enemy or he's low enough HP so the rest of the combo can finish him up. So depending on the situation, it could be like a really bad deal if you miss the Q. But not necessarily because maybe you planned kind of to make him dodge into your rest of the combo if you deem it worth. Yeah, I like that. That that's really cool. Actually, I have a question then about the the passive stacks as well. How important is it to keep track or like prepare stacks on the enemy? And also, I know that the you know the auto uh, keeps the stacks on the enemy. Is that important to you? Is that something that uh, you try to maintain? Yeah, exactly. That that's uh, that's where the higher level of Velkos players come in. And stacks are extremely important. Uh, good players are going to know how many stacks they have, how many they can get. And uh, you really need to count them. And like usually versus tanks, you're going to need three rotations, which is nine stacks versus uh, squishies, you're going to need six. Sometimes versus like supports, when you're high level, you can just get them, get them in three. So yeah, the idea is to count stacks and prepare them. So there's a couple of very interesting variants where you kind of use your stacks against the enemy. So let's say you're fighting versus a Trindamir or a Zillion or a Kindred someone with the invulnerability ability. You're going to set up on two stacks and kind of just auto-attack them slowly to the point where you're going to one-shot them with the Q proc and then try to execute them without them pressing their ultimate saving ability. So that's one of the variants where you can manipulate the stacks in your favor. Now, conversely, if they use the ability, uh, let's say Zillion presses ult, you're not going to proc your true damage, you're going to set it up to two stacks and wait out the, the ult. Same with the Kindred, same with the Trindamir, same with the Kale. You're just kind of, you have a privilege to shift your damage spike, damage burst on one side or the other. So either try to kill him before the ult or right after. So that's for the first part of the question. The second part is the auto attacks, which are tremendously important because your brunt of the damage comes from passive. So usually uh, when that is super useful is when you do extended trades and that's about level six. Usually when you're about to level up to level six, you're going to try to prepare stacks on the enemy and you will... Take possibly even a bad trade just to auto attack to extend them. Because right as soon as you level up, uh, maybe if enemy's two stacks, you're going to do QR and it's going to be six. Because maybe you're going to use your W and E to clear the wave and get the level six before the enemy. That's a level six power play. Um, so yeah, there's, there's many variants of that. But yeah, in, in short, you definitely have to pay attention to that. Awesome. I love that. Even like the, the idea of taking a bad trade just to, just to set that up with the stacks. Uh, I think that is a really interesting. Wow. Uh, let's let's shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk about um, runes and summoners and what you run on Velkas. Um, first of all, real quick about summoner spells. Uh, what options are there, and how do you pick between them? Okay, summoner spells. Uh, Velkas doesn't require really a second summoner spell. Flash is mandatory because uh, the game is too fast. There's too many flashes in the game, and it permits some some cool plays but it adds a layer of safety. So that's mandatory. The rest are super optional because you, you can easily play a game without uh, your D summoner spell, let's say. So 
you're going to take something that, that adds value to you in that specific setting. So let's say when you're playing bot lane or support with an AD carry who's going to run ghost or exhaust, you're going to go heal, obviously, to get max value. Mid lane, it's either going to be versus tough matchups barrier, or it's going to be teleport versus controlling matchups where you want to get better resets and potential map control. Um, and obviously cleanse versus the likes of Zoe, Syndra, uh, TF, because otherwise you just don't get to play if, they, if the jungler is smart. So yeah, that's usually where the summoners go. There's a big misconception. People like to take Ignite, which is absolutely terrible. And uh, there's one famous video where I, I think LS was coaching Nemesis and he told him to take Ignite and I, I got mad. So Ignite is just absolutely terrible on Velkus because 90% of the time you should not be in range of Ignite. And even if you like, even if you are, you're probably in, like in bad positioning. So it's just not a really good tool for you. It's extremely rare to be useful like versus like, I don't know, maybe you're playing versus Yumi Soraka bot lane and maybe. All right. So really your second summoner is just going to be situational, mostly based on the matchup. Um, do you ever go exhaust on Velkos? Like, are there any situations where you would take that? Exhaust, I, I always tell people it's a more aggressive variant of barrier because that one requires you to be in range to actually use it. And a lot of matchups, again, people are, uh, why don't you take that versus Assassins? Um, if you take that versus Fizz, you don't really get to use it. Because Fizz is going to engage with ult, and then he's going to E over while being invulnerable. So you can't use the exhaust before majority of the damage. Uh, same with Zed, you really can't click on him if he does like a fast W or flash R onto you. You can't really click on him fast before he hits with s certain amount of damage. And it probably won't save you in those cases. Uh, but what, what exhaust does do is, you can use it at the start of the fight. That's probably the better use. It's not really like a safety tool, but more aggressive. So what you do is uh, when an enemy mid laner, let's say Kiana or a Talon, they kind of jump in and they don't really have a plan to go out. But because they're like, they're this type of assassin, they're supposed to beat you in an early trade, uh, level three or something, something like that. So instantly you would pop exhaust and then just chase them down with auto attacks, punishing, minions are hitting them, you're hitting them, and they instantly can't trade and they lose so much tempo on the map. Or sometimes you will even get kills early game like that. So Exhaust is one of those cool aggressive tools, uh, but again, it's risky to take because you really, in most cases, you won't be able to use it before, like, before you take uh, severe damage. Okay. And as for runes, um, what does your rune page usually look like? Um, I, I played Velkos everywhere, all roles, even notoriously jungle. So there's many variants. I, I always recommend people uh, that they go with the sorcery slash inspiration. It's just the most standard, most stable variant for beginners, and you really can't go wrong, because you don't lose anything by taking it. You can just get a lot of free value and resources from that. But for me, I really love on a support, I, I love Dark Harvest. It's just so cool. It's one of the coolest interaction spells for Velkas. Okay, so the, the page that you're usually running, the, the sorcery one, uh, what goes into that? Why, why does that work so well? Sorcery is just mandatory because it adds a layer of poke again. So you just take chip damage, passive chip damage with a lot of value, let's say on Gathering Storm, Mana Flow Band to actually help you control the waves better, and you either go Transcendence or Absolute Focus for uh, more damage burst. So that's usually what you run. It's just way too stable, and uh, it provides a lot of pressure in terms of mana, in terms of damage, and uh, scales insanely well. So on that, uh, you build on the secondaries. Inspiration is a safer more uh, defensive variant, where you can go domination with, let's say, Ultimate Hunter, with the Ghost Poro, 
or uh, with cheap shot or taste of blood in heavy trading matchups. Awesome. Um, one thing I wanted to ask about as well for the runes, which I think uh, is probably not discussed a lot, the stat bonuses you get from runes. I've seen you use sometimes like the AP, sometimes attack speed, and sometimes cooldown reduction. Um, can you talk about why you switch between those? Okay, so uh, let's get rid of the cooldown reduction. I usually use that one as a... Well, mostly it was like to get the max value of CDR. It, it's kind of like a... I don't want to say meme because it works. It's not like you lose anything by getting it. But it's it's absolutely not necessary. It's a bit of an overkill to go 8 ability haste there. If we're going to play mid lane, I would recommend it's mandatory uh, to get attack speed. You have to go attack speed in, in any sort of a high-low mid lane. And if you play low velo mid lane with attack speed, you're just going to crush opponents because they don't know what's happening. And uh, I'll explain here why it worked, because I get this question a lot, like why attack speed feels so random. I, I was skeptical about it as well until I tried it. And once you take attack speed, you never go back. You can't. Uh, the wave management is way too good, because you, you get to do much more uh, optimal auto attacks. Uh, by that, I mean in mid lane, when there's trading between mages, there's window of hitting the, the minions. You always have to be hitting minions to, to exert pressure because the goal is to push the enemy. So every time you're trying to hit the minion, it's a liability. You're like in potentially deadly scenario, like people are going to try to trade you. So every time you come for an auto attack, they can hit you. Uh, but by having more attack speed, the window of that punishment is smaller because you have less cooldown between auto attacks. So you can apply more pressure and you can get better trades. Not to mention in early game, getting two auto attacks for one is a huge deal. Uh, instead of having like a little bit of extra AP that's like five damage on your spell. So it just creates early game pressure at a huge level. Awesome. I like that. So it's interesting that you're using that almost aggressively, but also uh, to make it, <laughs> I don't know, it has a dual purpose. You you can use it for better traits, but also you can avoid uh, taking damage from it. Is that right? Yeah, it just fixes your laning all around. It fixes everything in your lane. It's much, much better. Nice. Okay, um, let's go into the laning phase a bit. I know you talked a bit about, you know, calculating uh, uh, what the enemy is going to do and what their game plan is and how you want to play around that. Um, in general, what is your goal for the early laning phase? What are you trying to achieve? Well, like most mages, the goal is just to push the enemy. That's like a simple goal. Now that can divert into a whole tree, like a bunch of branches, depending on the junglers, depending on the mid laners and what's happening. So... Let's say one example is versus, let's say, Yasuo, who's a complete counter, and you can't really do too much to him. So just pushing would be very stupid because he can easily win volume mid-push and break your push and just freeze you then. So in that case, you have to be extremely smart with how you push the waves. You either have to like fully clear them or, or uh, let them sit in a slow push towards you while you're just slowly chipping them away. So uh, otherwise, you don't get to play. You're just out of the lane. So blindly pushing in that case is very, very stupid. But in general, the role is to, to push the enemy because then you get advantage, you get, uh, you get what, what we call prio, which allows you to either hit the turret, poke the enemy under turret, dive the enemy, or roam or recall. So there's many, many variants on what you want to do. And again, you have to be very, very flexible. You can't, you can't add like an idea in your head, okay, so I'm just going to push this guy and I'm going to instantly rotate bot lane. Because th that doesn't make sense because you don't know the state of the bot lane in that timing. So you, can't, you have to be extremely flexible with the goals. Maybe the enemy is diveable. Maybe you want to call your jungler. Maybe you assume, maybe by 
him overstaying with low HP, enemy jungler is bound to come to mid lane, so you counter with your jungler, so you call him and then you win 2v2. Maybe you just take a easy reset out of the lane, because you know you're going to lose in the long run, because enemy has some sort of sustain, while you don't and you're low on mana. And uh, there's, again, many, many variants, but in general, pushing the enemy, bouncing the wave is good, while poking them, applying pressure, and creating map prio. Okay, cool. Um, so... The gateway to all that is pushing the wave out. Is there a way to do that efficiently? Like, obviously you're using your spells, but in what way are you using them to, to push that out quickly? Uh, it depends on the levels. Early game, uh, you're going to need double W, but mid to late game, you don't use double W ever because that leaves you extremely weak. So uh, if you can visualize this, you have, you have four abilities, Q, two Ws, and E. So if you use two Ws, which is the fastest form of clear, you're going to clear it, but then you're going to get next W in about 15 seconds, then another one in 15. So you're, you're, you're at the semi-fighting capacity in 15 and then full capacity in 30. Whereas if you do one W, E on the back line and Q on the front line, that's one of each, all three abilities are going to come up at the same time. So then you're going to have Q, two Ws, and then E again. So you're going to be in full fighting capacity. So let's say if there's a, you need prior mid to rotate the dragon fight. If you do double W, you're weak in a dragon fight. But if you do WEQ, by the time you get there, you have all abilities up. So that's one of those like micro things that are going to help you um, be much more powerful. All right. That's interesting. I, I've also seen that you, uh, when it comes to leveling up skills, you put a few points in the, into W as well. Is that purely for wave clear as well? And you know, how many points do you put into that? Uh, what's your logic for that? Yeah, there's, uh, there are two types of playing Volkos, or they used to be back in the day. It was uh, Ever since Volkos came out, it was, uh, okay, Q is the main ability, max Q, fight the enemy, that's cool. But then the high low players started doing, let's just max W to the way, all the way. And you get five points, and then you get superb wave control. And then it doesn't matter if the enemy is stronger, if they can never get to you, because you're always pushing. You always have six minions in front of you. So they started losing. So then, I, I like to believe I, I kind of invented this playstyle, because I've never really seen, seen it before. Uh, where we do three points of W, then max Q. That like, gets you to Q rank 5 on uh, level 10, which Q you need leveled up for kill potential, because the slow duration increases uh, by Q leveling up, which means you're able to gap close people from higher range if you land a long-range Q. So it's paramount you level it up early. But getting three points in W turns out is just enough to clear the waves really, really cleanly. Now, in matchups where you don't really need that much wave control, where you can push them easily and, and bully them, uh, you get two points. That's kind of my, my variant that I do. So usually, like, uh, you could go two to four points in W, in my opinion, but three is probably optimal, and two in, like, some cases. Because it just gives you just enough control of the wave, so you can play for kills. Now, if you were to play competitive, you would probably want a little bit more wave management, so we go three points. Uh, you would almost never go two. Because competitive values are... Uh, wave control way more than solo queue. Because solo queue, you really want to have that queue stacked up as early as possible because you want to partake in the kills. Awesome. I like that. Um, one thing I'm interested in is if you are like using your skills for wave management a lot, especially your E, for example, if you're using that to clear waves really quickly, doesn't that sometimes leave you vulnerable? You know, Let's say it's an enemy Zed. Doesn't he see that opportunity to just <laughs> go in on you, for example, or for a jungler to start ganking at that moment? Isn't that an issue? Kinda, but uh, to an extent, Velka's E is a pathetically bad ability. It's probably the worst CC ability in the game. So sure, it does leave you vulnerable, but it, I don't think it's going to stop Zed ever, really, if he wants to get on you. 
Uh, but yeah, the, the point is valid, and you definitely don't want to spam it randomly, because a bad Valkus player spam E all the time on cooldown, and they leave themselves vulnerable for 15-20 seconds. Same applies with the Ziggs, let's say, use your satchel charge for poke, that means you're vulnerable every, every time for 20 seconds. Um, so you, you gotta be very careful with these types of abilities. So you're only gonna use it if you know there's nothing gonna happen. So let's say if you zone the enemy slightly with your Q and you, you do the W, or uh, enemies, you just like take the diagonal approach, you're opposite of him, creating like the furthest distance of A, and if you just wave clear and leave the lane without him like having a chance to fight back, then it's totally fine. So it's just about like judging on a case-by-case -case scenario. I see. So it's fine to do as long as you're aware of it and you're, you're playing around the cooldown. Yeah, exactly. If, if you just understand well, what can happen and when. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, then at a certain point in, in the lane, you'll be hitting level six. How big of a power spike is that for Velkos? And can you talk a little bit about when and how you use your ult? Uh, it's the biggest in the entire game. Uh, I'm not joking when I say I get like 60% of my solo kills on uh, level 6 power play. It's just people always fall for that. Like regardless of the elo, it's way too powerful. If you're going to get a solo kill in lane as Velkos, that's going to be it. Now, there are again levels of complexity on that play. In low relo, you can probably just level it up and land a combo and one-shot people. That can work. Uh, you just do like a QEW, pop them, that's uh, four stacks. If they all land, if second W doesn't, still three, which gives you enough for six with ult. So they just die. And that's the stack overflow you do with the Q. You, you, you keep it at four or seven, so in case the one W misses, you're fine. Like in that case, you really want to make that level six play. But then there have been more complex variants because people in a high relo are good at avoiding level six power plays. Like they, they know about that. So in that case, wave management, if you do proper wave management, and if you're running teleport, you can even do that, you can brute force a cheater recall, or if you can pull off like an actual one in the game. And you can count minions, you can count, okay, I have two minion experience advantage, that you can play on those two minions, and enemies won't be very um, suspecting of that. And secondly, as we talked about earlier, you, you're going to land one Q, and you're going to slowly like clear the wave, and then you're going to walk up and auto-attack the enemy to preserve that one stack just before you level it up because you're taking a bit of a bad trade because you know what's coming is really good for you. So in that sense, you prepare your level 6 power play and just try to burst him. But yeah, that's, that's the way you get kills. It's very difficult to get a kill with Velkos otherwise unless enemies are like really bad because mostly you play under vein management pressure and uh, map control. Okay, let's get into that a little bit. When it comes to... <laughs> getting the one shot with an ult, does it always require you to land your E, for example? What is required for you to actually get that kill? Um, as I said, usually versus uh, mages, it should be enough to get six stacks. Mage on mage combat, six stacks, unless you're like behind, should usually work. If it's not, I mean, you have that internal sense when you play the game. Uh, and people will know listening to this, they, they kind of have that feeling like, okay, I have enough. Um, so sometimes you're going to think, oh, I'm 100 damage short. So you're going to try to get that minor trade before so you can prepare that lethal because you want to do it in one fell swoop instead of like getting the enemy to 50 or 100 HP. That would be a waste. I mean, you still get pressure. You can even do that in some bad matchups. Ulting for just pressure is good sometimes. But yeah, in solo queue, you usually want to get it to 100 to 0 to capitalize on that. Awesome. All right. Let's... Uh... Let's switch gears a little bit again, and uh, I want to ask you about items. Now, I don't think Doran's Ring as a starting item requires much discussion, but I am curious, um, what does your first base usually look like? Arc Seal, <laughs> no matter what. 
I love Dark Seal. It's my favorite item in the game. And usually my first recall, I'm gonna I'm looking to get Dark Seal and Amptome. That's probably the, the best variant. Where you recall with that 800 gold, you, you get Dark Seal, Amptome, maybe a pink ward, and that gives you a lot of control because that's right around the level six power play. And you're looking to get that kill, or uh, you're looking to actually start fighting. Because Velkos Velkos is a mid-game spiking champion, and as long as you don't die, the Dark Seal will passively stack. It does delay your mythic, which could be really, really bad at uh, highly competitive games, but in solo queue, it's usually fine to just have it. So yeah, delaying your mythic for a little bit is not that bad if you cannot die and uh, justify the Dark Seal pickup. Okay, that's interesting. I, I love it. Um, do you not need an early lost chapter on Velkos? Especially if you're constantly using abilities for wave management, are you not going to run out of mana? That's a great question. Um, when I'm coaching people, always, I, I see that they spam way too much. Uh, let's say level 3, and they just spam all the abilities and poke enemies to 60%. They pop a potion, they're fine, you're out of pressure. It's just not worth to poke that much. Which is why I usually also run mana flow band. That kind of fixes our mana a little bit. It's kind of like a good pacing tool. Because you want to hit enemies with abilities only when your mana flow band is up. So you get stacks. You're kind of playing for the late, mid to late game where you're farming up mana. It, it fixes your laning for sure. So you can definitely get by without Lost Chapter in the first recall. You can even go like Dark Seal, two Amp Tomes, Boots. You can, you can do that if you're just looking to, to make a kill. Also, there's a lot of tricks with the mana conservation, which a lot of people don't know about, which is uh, Q killing the minions. If you execute a minion with a Q, you get 50% back. Also, attack speed comes into play here because you're auto-attacking the minions better, you're faster, and setting them up for your Q refunds. And if you execute two minions, you get 100%. Three minions, you get 150%. So you can actually farm mana by using Q. Th those are a bit rare to set up, but you can definitely do that like in a very passive laning where both guys are out of ammo, you just try to set it up and you get that 150% mana. One little caveat here, uh, one minor interaction which people are not aware of. People either believe that the Q doesn't give 150% mana or like it's because of the passive. If your Q procs the passive and passive executes the minion, you don't get the mana back. So it has to be core Q damage that executes it, which is why also leveling up Q early is better because you have better execute and better mana control. Huh, that is, that is super interesting. That's a trick I never would have thought of. <laughs> wow, all right. Um, cool, yeah, let's continue on items for a bit though. Um, for your mythic, I've seen some games where you pick lion trees and I've seen some where you pick ludens. How are you choosing between those? Like what goes into that decision? Okay, this shifts quite a bit from game to game and from season to season. So this might get outdated, but I'll give you some good concepts to, to decide basically on in, in any given scenario. So what, what you're looking to do is with Mythic is to, to gain like maximum amount of value. When enemies have no MR at all, and you can kind of know just by looking at the comps, like if your team is full AD, you can assume enemies won't have any MR. In that case, building Ludens into Shadow Flame is phenomenal because you have do true damage to everyone because they have no MR. Um, that's one good thing. Lion Reese, on the other hand, is probably the best suited for Velkas because it gives you everything you need and fixes your... Your wave clear gets tremendously better with the burn. You can also clear jungle camps so well. You can all, very often, just by going Lion Reese, you can get, have like 250 minions at 23 minutes if you're just playing the game correctly. And you can get fed without doing that much proactively. If you build Lion Reese every game from now on, you, you wouldn't be wrong, essentially. It's just that good. 
The variants are obviously if there are a bunch of squishies with no MR, you can go that that burst build, that initial burst. Or in very, very rare cases where enemies are playing on that initial burst on you, you just pick up a very, very cheap item, crown, and you you build like this defensive shell and you just never die. And the, the question is like, will you lose damage with the crown? Kinda, but then you compensate by building the first item in Magi's right after the crown. And then you just try to never die. You get that extra movement speed from the crown mythic bonus, and then Magi's at 10 stacks also gives movement speed. So you should pretty much never die if you do that combo. And you will do quite a lot of damage anyway. So yeah, that, that works. Like let's say you're playing versus Kiana, Evelyn. Uh, there's not much counterplay you can do there. Uh, but building crown early is just phenomenal in that case. Awesome. I like that. Um, real quick, a question about Lyandries. Earlier you mentioned as Velkos, you don't really mind hitting the front line. Is that the reason that Lyandries is so good as well? Because you're constantly getting burn on just whoever you hit? Yeah, it synergizes with, with basically everything. It's just way too good with the burn. It's good with the wave clear, good with the jungle camps. Just the fact that you can clear the wave one second faster, it stacks up eventually because that's one second of prior more on the map. And it gives you perfect stats, gives you CDR, which is Technically, what Velkos would want, because when you build Magic Pen, uh, you lose 25% value of Magic Penetration, roughly. Because Velkos does about 25% true damage overall. So uh, building Landry's is just really, really good, and you get to spam those abilities. Um, the core idea is to just choose the proper build path and stick to it. Like, if enemies have a bunch of tanks or they have a lot of healing, you can pick up Landry's and then pair it up with Healing Reduction, Oblivion Orb. Uh, because Landry's extends the Oblivion Orb by 4 seconds. So it's not three, it's seven seconds now. And it gains huge volume. So in that case, uh, using Landry's is really good versus tanks versus healers. And the core idea is to build your build properly. By that I mean if enemies have a bunch of MR and you go magic pen boots into Landry's, it's pretty bad because you have only 18 magic pen and they have like 70 MR. You're, you're getting no damage bonus there essentially. It's just it's not working at all. The, the build, it's not synergizing with itself. Whereas if they have a lot of MR, you just go Lionries into Lucidity Boots, which are cheaper, and you get more rotations in with CDR, and more rotations means more true damage and more ultimates. So sometimes in a fight you can do two ults, maybe even three if you're running like Ultimate Hunter. So yeah, like that is just, it's just you need to know what build you're going for and try to do it as best way as possible. Okay. That's cool. I was going to ask you about the boots, actually, and when you're going Lucidities. Is it just always, like, Lyandries with Lucidities and Ludens with Sorks? Is, is that the logic? Yeah, that, that pair-up is just... Because the more Magic Pen you have, the more valuable it is. Because the closer they get to zero, the more damage implication it gets. So when you commit to Sorcerer Shoes, you pretty much commit to having Ludens, you pretty much commit to having Shadow Flame right after. That's kind of the, the build. So you have to be very careful when you choose that. Because if you choose that very build, and enemies all have like 60, 70, 80 MR, you, they basically negated your build, and your build sucks. So then you have to do Void Staff maybe to recover it, and it's just all hell, because you're buying a bunch of items that don't give you that much AP and that much damage. I see. All right. Yeah, you're mentioning like Shadow Flame and Void Staff. I'm curious about legendary items in general as well. I feel like there's a lot of good ones to pick from, and all of them give you damage. Can you tell me, like, which ones do you like to pick up and when? Uh, Horizon Folks is probably my favorite right now. It's the only item in the game that amplifies true damage for some reason. Nobody knows why. But yeah, the 10% the bonus will apply with the true damage. It, it synergizes extremely well with Velkus, and it has this very underrated thing, extremely underrated thing, which is vision. If you hit someone, you get vision for six seconds. 
when you're doing any sort of dragon dance, baron dance, all of these fights in the river, as long as you know the angles and you can clip one target, you get insane amount of data just by seeing where the enemies are. And very often, this happens even in high elo, you're going to hit someone and they're going to run around and just that as the vision is ending, they're going to stand in one spot because they forgot that your item gives you vision or something. And then you can just hit them again or even like full combo them. So yeah, the vision part is so underrated. That's awesome. <laughs> I think once again, very on brand for Velkos to, to build items for information. <laughs> that, yeah. that was very funny. Um, and yeah, other legendary items. You mentioned Void Staff and Shadow Flame. Like, do you ever pick up both just to stack on Magic Pen? Or uh, you know, when do you take Void Staff, for example? Void Staff, um, let's say if you're doing the Lion Reese build, which is zero uh, Magic Pen, and enemies have a lot of MR, uh, you're going to get it as fourth, fifth, or sixth kind of in the late game. Just to amplify your build, because there are no real good endgame items in this case. You have like three core items, and other than that, it's like, it's a lot of optional stuff. So, yeah, you're going to pick up voice staff in, in the late game there. Or if you're doing the Shadow Flame build, and enemies kind of negated, then you, you're kind of forced to go into voice staff to recover your build. Because if you don't have percent pen, like your flat pen is just meaningless. Yeah, that makes sense. And otherwise, you're just picking up regular items like... Rabadons, I guess, as third or fourth, right? Yeah, let's say the optimal version would be go Lion Race, Horizon Focus into Decap. Like, that would just be the, the ultimate scenario where you just burn everything. Cool. All right. Um, yeah, finally, I want to ask you about the mid and the late game for Velkaz. So to start with that, once the turrets start to go down, what is Velkaz's role in, in the game? Okay, that's, a, that's where a lot of people get lost. Um, once the turrets go down, especially the mid lane turret, your role gets significantly more complex because there's many more places you could be and many more things you could do, especially if you're a mid laner, rotates the bot lane, does split push. So do you match the enemy mid laner? This is like a losing scenario in, in many ways, which is why Velkos is not super highly contested in, in competitive because you're going to be leaking a lot unless you have an exact game plan and know what you're doing. So... It makes your draft a bit constricted because you need to have like a split pusher and a dueler. But yeah, it's a bit of a competitive complexity. But let's say you're playing versus enemy Zed and you beat him, you crush him, and he's 0-3. He just goes split push bot lane. Now you, as a fed character, have to match a 0-3 character. And you're never going to kill him because he's too safe in a long lane. So what's going to happen is you're losing your most valuable piece where they're losing like a very weak Zed. So enemy team gets a benefit on the 4v4. If you do that in reverse, enemy Zed crushes you, and he's 3-0, and you're 0-3. Now you try to match Zed. He, he can easily dive you in the bot lane, in the side lane. So enemies gain advantage in the bottom side. So it's beneficial to them either way. So split pushing is one of the core weaknesses for Velkas in that sense. If you really can't control your mid lane, and uh, your bot lane is really, really um, like adamant in going mid lane, and they want to contest that, you do the bare minimum. You catch the waves, bounce the waves properly. Good players can do this with like 90% efficiency. And in between, you're catching the jungle camps and you're playing on the windows. What that means is you're going to bounce a wave and before enemy wave can come bot lane again, you try to make a play with your team. You, you group with them, coalesce, try to pressure some other tower, try to pressure an objective, herald, dragon, baron, whatever. So you, you play in those windows and you do bare minimum. Because Velkos thrives in team fighting. You want team fights. Split pushing is really not his game. Okay, that's interesting. So is, is that like the main solution? Is that just what you end up having to do if you're in the side lane? Isn't it possible 
to be, uh, I don't know, to insist that you stay mid lane, for example, is is that not another way to solve it? Oh, for sure. I'll very often do that because Valkyrie is really good. If you destroy enemy mid turret and you have a, somebody who can actually match the mid lane split pusher with ease, let's say enemy like mid laner is weak, he can't really do much, your AD carry is farming versus him. I can easily be mid lane versus both bot laners. I, I can fight AD carry and support in mid lane and push them both in and control them both, which gives you huge map control. You're going to war deep behind where the enemy turret used to be. So you get vision and you're going to always go left, right, left, right and control the entry to river with really nasty invisible through the wall cues. And if those land, you can try to pursue to go for an ult for kill or just more likely you're going to poke them, get pressured, they fall back and then you get 1v2 prio, which is ridiculously good in terms of map control. And then your team can just do whatever they want. River is yours. You can, you can synergize and invade any side which you want as long as you're like paying attention to other wave states. Okay, that, that's interesting. So if this is such a much more optimal scenario for Velcos, how come sometimes you, you're still relegated to bot lane? How come you can't just <laughs> force your team to, to keep you mid? Well, I, I would prefer to be mid in every single game, but uh, there's, a, again, many variables. Sometimes you're going to have two side laners, which neither of them can split push, no AD carry, no top lane. Neither of them are good duelers or they're behind, or they, they just can't match anyone on the side. So you're going to go and just try to match that for the sake of the team so they don't fall apart. It's kind of like taking a lesser evil in that sense, because um, both options are bad. Sometimes you're at AD carry and bot lane, even though you have a dueler or they could match it, they are still like adamant in this, and they have this idea that bot lane always has to be mid uh, in the mid game, and they will just randomly rotate from bot lane to mid without even like thinking why they're doing it. So they're just going to be there and they're going to boot you out because you don't want to share experience because that's just absolute sinning and you don't want to lose experience and gold. So what you're going to do is you're just going to, again, kind of cater to them instead of like getting into a fight and making the game unplayable. You're just going to go both catch the waves and try to force fights in between. I see. All right. If you do end up picking up TP as your second summoner, how does that factor into all this? Like, are you more likely to keep shoving side lanes instead of like rotating between them if you have your tp up is there a way you can use that tp in the mid game yeah precisely uh, that's why tp can be good because you don't really have insane use as a mid lane mage with teleport you can't really like flank enemies and just run them down uh, but you can have it as a safety tool if your team starts getting engaged you can tp slightly behind them and maybe catch enemies uh, in a blind chase so yeah, it does definitely permit you to actually go side lane a bit more. And the biggest uh, value of that is also you're there to defend the objectives. Let's say you go split push and you have teleport this time around. Your team gets caught and they lose one character. Now enemies really have to go Baron. In a 5v3, that Baron would be gone. But if, if you have teleporting in TP, and Vilka is a tremendous character are defending Barons and Dragons. He's really good at uh, destroying teams in pits. So you can teleport there and a 5v4, they can't take the Baron. So again, it's a great safety tool for that. Awesome. Yeah, let's let's talk a bit about the team fights then. You mentioned earlier that Velkos is just really good in team fights in general. Are you ever looking to like catch people out as well? Do you ever look for skirmishes as Velkos, or are you really just always trying to set up team fights? Well, you're you're usually following the objective road towards team fights, but then again, not having a team fight is even better because team fight is a bit of chaos where you can't control four of your teammates you don't know what's going to happen really like it could be theoretically in your favor but it's better to avoid if you can 
uh, if you can get a pick, obviously. Because by getting a pick, you just skip over the team fight and you get the objective for free. Um, so if you understand which objectives you're going for, if you understand what enemy movements are going to look like, um, this is one reasons one of the reasons why I take yellow wards uh, instead of blue ones very often in late game. Uh, whereas it's mostly the norm to, to go blue in, in mid laners late game. I will keep yellows because you, you can get some cheesy angles where you can actually pick off people in rotations when they're trying to contest vision. If they're in the dark long enough, even the best players make mistakes. So you just try to abuse that. You control the vision, which is why vision is key. And I always buy a bunch of pink words. Vision is key in that sense. And you, you can get picks because the best way to win an objective is to get a pick before it. Because then it was just you versus the enemy. And it was like 100% your impact. Whereas in a team fight, sure, you thrive in a team fight, but you kind of lower your impact because anything can happen. Your teammate can die randomly on a side, given a reset to some character and just the team fight is all up in flames. I like that. Even though your team fighting potential is really good, <laughs> being proactive a little bit extra um, helps even more. Yeah, for sure. That's a great tool for solo. In competitive, obviously, you're going to do less risky strats. You're going to do less pickoff potential. Again, maybe you can catch him off guard uh, if you're creative with some invisible angles, vision stuff, manipulations. Uh, funnily enough, manipulations work better versus better pl players than worse because <laughs> you can funnel them better into certain patterns because a lot of the high-low players think the same way. So you can kind of play on that. Uh, but yeah, like in competitive, you'd play more team fight. But in solo queue, uh, pickoff is just as valuable, if not more. I, I just want to ask a follow-up question on that, because that seems like an interesting uh, thread to pull on. What exactly do you mean by funneling players? You know, obviously, all your abilities are great for like poking and zoning, which I assume is what you're doing. Like, how are you trying to get all the players to move? And where are you trying to get them to move? Um, okay, the first, there's like a high-low, like a really good player goggles. All high-low players look at the game in the same way, in the, in the map movements, in the... It just, they notice the slight movements, where you do like the diagonal rule. If I move slightly right on my wave, enemy's gonna move slightly left to go diagonally away from me, to avoid clear line of sight. They don't even think about that, that they do that. Whereas low-low players don't know what they're doing. So, in a sense, you can go right and toss a Q left, and pre-cast it early. And enemy is just going to walk into it. And good players can do that very, very often. That's one of the ways you can, you can manipulate players. Um, one great example is I played versus Froggen on North America recently. And because Froggen is a tremendous mid laner, one of the mid laners I respect the most, uh, I could kind of read what he was going to do because we, we think alike in that sense. And I, I could manipulate him in, in a lot of like really good scenarios. Also, good players track what hits them, what doesn't. Whereas bad players do same things. So sometimes for a Velkus player, it's trickier to play versus a bad player. Because if I hit him two times in the same exact way, I'll probably not shoot the third time same way because it's ridiculous. Like, he keeps getting hit. Whereas versus a good player, he's going to shift his dodging pattern while I'm going to shift my shooting pattern to match his. I love it. Those are, those are some insane mind games where <laughs> predicting the dodges just based on expecting them to do something different this time. You're trying to profile the enemies, what their most likely dodge pattern is. And if they keep dodging the same one, you punish them twice, three times, and they're going to shift it eventually because they realize that they're getting hit. But then you also shift it. So it's, it's kind of like a disarms race. <laughs> awesome. All right. Um, I wanted to ask one more thing about the team fights real quick, because I, I think this is interesting as well. You mentioned earlier how important it is to stay alive as Velkos and how you don't mind just ending the front line and stuff like that. How are you looking to position in team fights? Are you trying to always play front to back? How do you uh, keep track of assassins? That kind of stuff. What, what's your logic for that? 
the logic there, front to back is quite correct. Front to back is the norm in most cases. Uh, obviously, there are variants where you're getting flanked, pincered. You, you got you got to make some tough decisions. But yeah, how do you play against that is usually when I coach people, I will tell them during the loading stream and even draft, like once you play a bit more and you think uh, consciously about every single game, uh, you, you start doing this on your own. Uh, you just see the enemy draft and you kind of know. It's like, okay, they have enemy there, you stop playing. I don't care. Like, he literally has no option to get me. It's useless. Okay, that's a Darius. They have Rakan bot lane. Okay, Rakan is a big danger. He's a red mark. That guy is a huge danger because Rakan flash hold combo, like uh, run you down. Uh, you pretty much die. So he's the guy you have to keep track of. You, you kind of check who the danger characters are, who can get you and how. Uh, in order to position properly, you have to know which characters are dangerous to you. And they're, they're like markers. Okay, they have a Malphite. I'm not going to be in Malphite ult range. If he flashes ult, that's fine. As long as I'm close to my team, I can maybe flash away or even bait him. So you're kind of thinking in those terms where you just know what the positioning is based on who's up against you. So sometimes they're horrible games for Velkas, let's say if your team has absolutely zero CC and they have a bunch of assassins. So there's like no good place to stand in a massacre there. So you just build crown and try to play on the enemies, I guess. But yeah, there are these cases where you pay attention and track and uh, just try to survive. That's the positioning. Now you can push that a step further. Um, let's say with the Malphite is a good example or, or Rakan. You are very, very conscious about who can kill you and how. You can even put that a step further and kind of bait them to try to kill you in a position where you know you're safe. So maybe they don't know all the data. Maybe they don't know your team is hiding on the side. And you can kind of step slightly forward, but not enough for them to execute you immediately. So then you can flash back, bait them. But yeah, that, that's what happens when you just keep track of everything. Uh, who can kill you and how. So that's the key point to, to know that. Awesome. So you're not really trying to be like aware of everything all at once, but you're just identifying like the key issues and tracking like the priorities. And that's enough most of the time. Exactly. Because if you think about everything, your brain is going to break. Uh, but th that's why you shorthanded like the characters who are dangerous. You don't necessarily need to keep track of the Garen or Darius top lane because their only play is like run at you, flash at you. That's never really going to happen in a teamfight setting if you play properly without like some sort of flank. So it's just not a threat at all. You, you don't even think about it really at the start of the fight. Uh, if they come closer, you just slap them with a Q in the face. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Lastly, uh, for this interview, I'd like to get your view on the game as a whole. Um, you mentioned earlier that you, you really like Velkov's support as well. So I'm kind of curious, when do you play in the support and why do you prefer mid? Um, I play basically everything. And during my climbs, I resorted to AP carry in both climbs at the end to Challenger because it's the easiest way to climb. Funnily enough, uh, mid lane is my favorite role because I used to play mid lane in the amateur scene and I, I love being mid lane since Dota to League of Legends. Um, but it's just mid lane is low impact. Mid lane mages are horribly low impact. What I mean by that is I can go 5-0 on the enemy Kiana and I might still not win the game if enemy Irelia top lane is like 3-0. She's going to have more impact than me in that game. Whereas if I lose to 3-0 Kiana, the game is just over. It's unplayable. So it's fairly low impact, whereas let's say I kill enemy Victor twice. Victor doesn't care, he's just going to wave clear still. He can still one laser wave clear the entire wave. He doesn't lose much, he doesn't get punished much, even if you kill him. So in that sense, it's low impact. While bot lane, when you play support, you can access the entire map and you can choose where to hit the enemies. And in soul queue, that's of tremendous value because you can find the weakest link. Maybe it's a jungler, maybe it's a top laner. And then you can rotate there, try to shut them down. 
So yeah, also support has access to multiple targets, your 2v2 and potentially jungler. So if you win one fight of a 2v3, it's just game breaking. Huh, that's interesting. I never would have expected mid lane to be <laughs> less impact than support. That's probably going to be surprising for a lot of people. Yeah, it sounds weird. And when I play support, I, I get way, way more kills than, than mid. It's just, yeah, mid lane is like you end up going 0-0-7 in mid lane. You just have perfect CS and you get perfect wave management. That's it. Where support, you're like 9-1 and one and you're just like flying through the map, poking people, destroying them. <laughs> okay, then I'm curious kind of about your playstyle as a support. You mentioned roaming, obviously. And earlier you mentioned that you're always going Dark Harvest. Just out of curiosity, what is kind of your, your game plan as a whole for support? Are you really, are you just trying to carry with damage? Yeah, um, it's this weird take on support, which I don't really see like taking off, like or many people adopting it. Uh, but the idea is you, you control the map and you get vision by poking people, by crushing them. So what I will run is Dark Harvest with Night Harvester. And you obviously have Relentless Hunter there, so you have so much movement speed. And your initial Q is going to do insane amount of damage. That's like the alternator build. Then you go into Shadow Flame, so you do double alternator. It's just insane poke on first Q. So what you do is you rotate around the map and you catch these angles because if you have sufficient game knowledge, if you know like where enemies are likely to be, you can kind of predict them. You hit them once and if enemy support Lulu tries to ward and you hit her with a Q from 1.5 thousand distance and she's half health, she just can't ward anymore. That's dark area forever now. And then you just rotate around, you, you hit someone else. And the map curvature plays really well for you because every time you're doing a river gank, Let's say you rotate top plate, you can do a very, very nice QR next to the wall, and you can gank people from over a thousand distance range. So he's really good for sieging turrets for the same exact reason. You can dive over the wall, both in mid lane, both in top lane and bot lane. Um, yeah, you just want to... The idea is to have uh, a lot of resets, a lot of vision, huge movement speed, and control the map. That's how you play. You carry through damage, but you don't really translate the damage. Well, you do into kills, because enemies eventually break. But you don't necessarily have to transfer it into kills. You can just transfer that into map control and then you get objectives and then your team just passively wins. Huh. Awesome. So it's just pure pressure, essentially. Cool. Um, yeah, just uh, back to the game as a whole real quick. Um, what do you think is the best way to improve at the game quickly? Mm, best way to improve is to start examining your deaths. Uh, as much as the the best advice to play the game is don't die, because that kind of leads you to thinking of what can kill you and how, so you get to avoid it. Examining your death is the best way, because then you can figure out what led to that death, and whether it was worth it. And usually like 80% of the deaths are not worth it in the game, and people just die randomly. You just have to look at that, and you can definitely like lower your death count, and by understanding how you died, you can learn the preconditions that led to that. Let's say you you left a really bad wave, you didn't fully shove it, and then you come back and you try to break the freeze and then you die. So you can't really get better in-game during that because you can't examine that. But in the post-game analysis where you have time, you can scroll back, last 30 seconds, 45, 50 seconds, and you're like, okay, if I didn't do this wave, if I didn't put it in a dangerous place, I wouldn't have to break the freeze here and then I wouldn't have died. So post-game analysis is really crucial in those cases where the... Like the, the preconditions are a bit more complex uh, and you can't really unpack them mid-game. I see. So when you're reviewing your games, are you just not even really looking throughout the whole game? You're purely just scrolling through the deaths and then a minute before that to see the lead up? That's just a good start. Uh, when you're starting doing that, you definitely start with the deaths. 
when you're coaching a lot and when you're doing that, you get used to tracking a lot of things. And even like very, very minor things are going to matter in that case. So you, you will definitely expand that to even the, the basic wave management, which, which didn't lead to death, but it led to lack of a little bit of experience. And that little bit of experience led to enemy getting level six before you. And that led to enemy poking you, you get low, you go back and then enemy rotates bot and then your team dies. It's like all, all kinds of things can happen. So yeah, it's just one, it's just the causality. One thing leads to the next and you just got to do as well as possible. And all of these things are examinable and you can always improve. There's always room to improve. Yeah, I see. Okay. Um, earlier you mentioned sometimes bot lane pushing you out of mid lane, even though you don't want to be pushed out. Um, so a question for that, how do you prevent getting tilted? Um, play Velkos. <laughs> He's a terribly low impact champ and, uh, you're going to develop insane mentality by the end because that's just what you do. Like you're playing for 20% of games, 40% are going to be won no matter what, 40% are going to be lost and whatever happens, make sure you're playing well you're satisfied with your play. You can win a game, but you play like shit and you can still examine it and feel bad about it and then learn from it. Whereas you can conversely play a game tremendously, get destroyed and still feel satisfied and be like, okay, I did that thing right. I did that thing right. That's probably the best way to play the game. Uh, play to get better and play for yourself. Play to have fun. Imagine everyone else is, a, is just an NPC in a game. It's like a unique scenario every single game. It's not real players. And that way you don't get tilted. <laughs> all right i like that um i think that's a good place to end this but i do have one last question for you um which is what is the best velkov skin at the moment probably arclite still as much as i love the the black frost and the the infernal and because they have chromas but the arclite will just forever be way too good and the little alterations in the voice lines sound effects is just way too good it's super satisfying to land any sort of ability with him. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. I've really learned a lot. So thank you. Um, where can people find out more about you? I stream daily on Twitch TV slash Zap. And uh, yeah, I make, I make YouTube videos, Zap, LOL, YouTube and stuff like that. Recently starting a little bit of a TikTok campaign and all of this. Uh, what the Zoomers like? Trying to expand my horizon slowly, but... I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, usually just Twitch daily. And if you do join the Twitch, be sure to join the Discord community because it's a pretty nice community. All right, that's it for this episode. If you want to stay up to date with the podcast, be sure to join the Challenger Insights Discord. We have an amazing community in there. You can join events like the Q&A, and you'll always get notified when a new episode comes out. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with someone who you think would be interested in it as well. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.